So today is going to be extra, extra, extra special. Um, I've I've read a thousand paragraphs and articles and a handful of books and things like that about church planning and things like that. And when you think about church planning in the global context, if if this um, if this were if this were happening in a place where there were unreached people, where the gospel was not known, uh, where the word was not um, available, that if uh, uh, someone was to go into this area and to, and to plant a church among these people, the, the way you measure the metrics of that, the way you measure whether a church has been planted or not is whenever you install elders and leaders in that church. Um, and so it's extra special. So I think about this on a, on, a, on a global scale, on a context like that, and to say, man, things are happening at Sulphur Community Church, that we're able to install uh, leaders, that there's, there's, there's been work that's been done. Um, and so this is an extra special time for us because today we're going to... Um, we're going to install those leaders that were presented to you uh, several weeks ago as we started our leadership series to understand what what in, in the world is church leadership, what does it look like, and we walk through several places in the Bible where we see biblical church leadership. Um, we've learned that it's, it, it's, it's a lot different than what we're used to seeing, um, but we want to be faithful to God's Word, and we want to um, emulate the New Testament church is as much as we can in the 21st century. Um, and so it looks like church leadership um, have both elders and deacons. And so what I might do is just maybe recap just for a second where we went over those five weeks. And, and probably the most important thing that we need to remember and always remember moving forward Jesus Christ is the head of Sulphur Community Church. Jesus Christ is our lead pastor. He is our lead shepherd. The church doesn't belong to anyone. It's not mine and it's not his and it's not hers. It's, it belongs to Jesus. And I say that because it's very interesting. I've got friends who who worship with a different family, who go to other churches and things like that, and whenever we have conversations, one of the questions that seem to always come up is, how's your church doing? And that makes my skin crawl. So if you're one of those people that have, hey, how's your church? I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be very transparent with you and say it's, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. And if I had a choice, if I had to pick in the whole scheme of things, I wouldn't be doing this. But God has called and ordained and set things in motion, and here we are. And I love it. I'm so thankful that He didn't listen to me when I said, God, I'd rather just sit on the couch this morning and not do anything. You know, I, I'm so thankful that that it is it is out of joy that this now this all this gets to take place. I get to be a part of this. But the reality is, it doesn't belong to me. And it wasn't my idea. I promise you it wasn't my idea. Because there was a season where we had to keep talking God out of it. Saying, oh, you got it all wrong. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong idea. You got the wrong city. You got the wrong everything. It's not what it's supposed to look like. So, it doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. And for those that we'll install today and pray over today and, and set up as our leaders, it doesn't belong to them either. David, Troy, this isn't your church. It doesn't belong to you. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Speaking about Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This church belongs to Jesus. It was his idea. It's his bride. And we just get caught up in the glory of it all. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The leaders we learned in our series that they are a part of the church family. They are part of this church family and they are appointed by the Holy Spirit. And so it's, again, not our idea that these men would be set before us today to say, here are your leaders. They were appointed by the Holy Spirit to do this. And, and maybe just to give you a little bit of background um, and the reason why we're calling this an installation and not an ordination is because they've already been called and they've already answered that call to serve in those capacities. They've done it with other church families. They, they initiated that step. Other church families affirmed that. And so now God has given them to us. And so what we'll do is we'll install them in those roles that they've already been called to and they've already answered yes to. And so that's the difference. And so what we do, as the Holy Spirit appoints elders and deacons in the church, what we do as a church family is we look for ways to affirm them in those roles. And so the two things that I gave you early on, the two, the two key things that we need to be looking for is, a, is an obvious calling, right? An eagerness, an eagerness to serve, and evidence of the call. Those two things, is, that's what we look for in leaders. And so you may be called to lead. In this room, you may be called to lead. But there's another component of this, that you must be passionate about your calling. And so I'm asking the church family, you look for the evidence of that call, but you also look for the eagerness to want to step into that role. And so most of the time, leadership is, is appointed because they're already doing those things. They're already leading in those efforts. And so it's, it's an affirmation from the church. Two things we look for is evidence of the call and an eagerness to step into that role, an eagerness to answer and be obedient and to serve joyfully. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the Holy Spirit does the appointment to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Leaders are called and equipped by God to serve this church that Christ gave his life for. And that's what that text says. That, that the Holy Spirit will appoint them to oversee the family that God sent his son to die for. And so that's how serious this matter is. God cares for this family deeply. So much so that Christ came and gave his blood for this church. And so it's for the leaders to, to answer the call and to be equipped to serve in those roles to care for what God cares for. And every single thing rises and falls on leadership. That was something else that we looked at. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And what I mean by that is if you have a gospel-centered leadership, you're going to have... You're going to give rise to a gospel-centered people. If you have a missions-minded leadership, you're going to give rise to mission-minded people. If you have sincere leadership, you're, you're going to give rise to sincere people. And if you have a kind leadership, you're going to give rise to kind people. And if you have an unloving leadership, you're going to give rise to unloving people. And if you have a stingy leadership, you're going to give rise to stingy people. And if you have a narrow leadership, you're going to give rise to narrow people. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's very, very important. Leadership matters. And so today, I'm going to do two things. It's going to be, it's going to be special today. And, and I know that I tend to get long-winded. I don't tend to. I actually plan to. Uh, I plan on it. So, so, so here's some encouragement for you today. We have two sermons to preach today. Yeah. But I think, I think if I get started, then we'll, we'll, we'll probably get there pretty quick. Um, so maybe just, to, maybe just for 
some exhortation as we begin to look at how Jesus was our great shepherd. You saw in that text um, and how we are to lead his, lead his flock. Let me say to, to you two men that God cares more about what's going on in you than what he's going to get done through you. He cares about what's going on inside of your heart more than how he's going to get things accomplished through you. And so it's very, very important that that's a personal reflection for both of you. It's like, what is God doing in me rather than what is God doing through me? And so God cares about that more. And when Jesus is working in you, the results are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, repentance, obedience, service. When Christ is working in a man, that's what you see. When Christ is working through a woman, that's what you see. You don't see bitterness. You don't see anger. You don't see anxiety. Those are the things that the enemy works in us. And Christ works those things out of us and replaces them with the fruit of the Spirit. And so, with that being said for you too, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If you're too big to serve, to stoop down, and to wash feet, and to serve people, and think less of yourself and more of others, and namely the, the, the glory of God, then you're too small to lead. And, and all of these things, and let me just say this for you as a church and for these men as leaders, this is affirmation time. This is not correction time. So when you hear me say these things, I'm just affirming what we've already seen in these men. And so in the text, look at verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus here was being very, very strategic. The, the, the region of Galilee was about 70 miles long by 40 miles wide. So just to kind of give you a geographical context. Um, and inside of the city of Galilee, in the region of Galilee, was about 200 cities and villages. So imagine that for just a minute. About 70 miles long and about 40 miles wide, how dense population was there. Many, many, many people in this region. So Jesus is here for a reason. Here's where all the people are. And so if we're to go and make disciples of all nations, then where do we go to make disciples? We have to go among the nations, right? We don't get to sit here and make disciples. We go to the world to make disciples. We go where the people who don't know Jesus are. That's how we make disciples. So geography is strategic. It's, it's, we're here in this place, in this community, for this community because we believe that this community matters to God and so it matters to us and that's why we're here. So geography is a strategy for us and it was a strategy for Jesus. And we're talking here in this time, in this region, about 3 million people in this 70 mile by 40 mile stretch of, of land. And so that's very densely populated. And here Jesus was walking through and he says he went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So he was focused in on two things here. The great shepherd focused in on two things, proclaiming the kingdom, telling about the king, telling about the kingdom, proclaiming the kingdom, and second, healing. Healing, so, so it's, it's telling and it's showing. And so that's a, that's a key component that we can't miss because it's real easy to tell. Like I could tell you about the kingdom and proclaim the kingdom, but it's another deal to actually have to walk it, to live it, to do it, to show it. And so he's, he's proclaiming the kingdom and then he's showing the kingdom through healing every disease and every affliction, gathering masses of people at every stop. And so just imagine this, that he's walking through this region, many people everywhere, and the guy who comes and, and he's talking like this and he's saying these things, he tends to, to, to collect a following of people as he goes to the next place. And we see that all throughout the Gospels as Jesus moves. He collects more and more and more people. And, and oddly enough, when he gets them around, he'll stop and turn around and just say something way off the wall that makes them go, whoa. You know, he does that. Like, well, that doesn't sound like what the Pharisees have been teaching us. We, we're not going to go there. 
And so he would, he would tend to collect masses, and then he would scatter them. And then and there was a sifting mechanism. You've heard me say that before. Jesus had a means to sift. Those who really want to know about the kingdom, you're going to step in a little bit closer. Those who might be threatened by what Jesus is saying, you're going to step back. And that was Jesus' way of saying, I want people who are coming after me. I want people who want this kingdom. And that was how he, that was how he rolled. That was what he did. And so he's gathering masses of people. And so in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So a, a big takeaway right here is that Jesus saw their great need. He's, he saw their great need. He's, he's looking actively seeking and he sees their great need for a shepherd. And this brings us all the way back. Jesus said something here. Most of what he said in the Bible, everything that he said was awesome. Most of it was not original content that he verbally spoke as a human, but that someone else said way back in the day. And so he, he basically quotes Numbers 27 17. Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in? that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So Jesus is quoting Old Testament Scripture here when He says, I'm looking out and I'm seeing that they're, they're harassed and helpless and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And when He says that, they know, they know the Old Testament better than anyone in this room. And so they knew exactly where He was at, what He was talking about. He, they put it in context. This was Israel. This was God's chosen people who had wicked or no leadership at all, who were self-seeking. And so Jesus looks out and says, it's just like it was back in the day, man. Things haven't changed. Things haven't evolved a whole lot. Here we are again with people who, who have self-appointed themselves into leadership and, and are only after their own good. They're not after the good of the people. They're not after the, they're not after the care and the shepherd, shepherding of the flock. Sheep by themselves, and um, again, I'm still recapping a few of these things. Um, we learned about sheep that without being too offensive, they're dumb. They don't, they, they're defenseless, they're helpless. Uh, they don't, they can't do anything. They're, they're not predators by any means. They're high maintenance. If maybe we can just put it in, in today's terms, sheep were high maintenance. And here's the deal. Hundreds and hundreds of times throughout Scripture, you and I are referred to as sheep. We're the ones. We're not the shepherds. We're referred to as the sheep. The ones who are helpless and harassed. Who We don't know a whole lot. We can't really fend for ourselves. We don't. It's it's pretty sad deal. It really is. And so if any of you uh, grew up around any type of agricultural setting where maybe even sheep were around, um, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's pitiful. It really is. It's pitiful. Um, and that's us. That's us, and that's how Jesus sees us, and he's constantly referring to us in Scripture as sheep. And the reality is we are, and we need shepherds. We are sheep, and we need shepherds. We don't have it all figured out. We're not powerful enough or strong enough to do anything on our own. We need a shepherd. We're sheep. And when Jesus looks out, these crowds, and he sees them in their affliction, and vulnerability, and he turns around and he says, this has to be fixed. This has to be fixed. This is broken. This is bad. This is not going to end well unless something happens. We have to fix it. And so he, he's looking. His eyes are up. And so leaders, we're looking. We're always looking for where, where's a need. How do we need it? Uh, who's helpless? Who needs encouragement? Who needs this? Who needs, like, that's what a leader does. He's actively looking, actively seeking, not waiting for someone to say, hey, look. Hey, look at there. There's a, there's a need. Hey, look at there. It, he's actively doing that. And so that's what we see Jesus here. And look at verse 36 with me. Moving on. When, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what we see should move us to feel something. And so Jesus saw a great need and he had compassion. He was moved. And so 
It's another whole thing now that we see a need, but we're actually moved by that. It's that we feel it. Like it. And let me just maybe break down compassion for you for just a minute. That it's not just um, compassion isn't just feeling bad for a situation. So we want to make sure that we're clear that compassion doesn't mean I just feel sorry for someone or feel sorry for a situation. That's not compassion. It's just feeling sorry for someone. You're being sympathetic. Compassion will always, 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 100% of the time, compassion will lead to action. That's what compassion does. It leads you to action. Otherwise, it's not compassion at all. And I was, as I was studying this, I, I had this book that's uh, just a, a billion quotes of different missionaries. And David Livingstone was a, was a missionary to Africa. And he said this, sympathy is no substitute for action. So sympathy is no substitute for action. So just because you might feel bad for something doesn't mean squat in the kingdom of God. God wants compassionate people. People who see, who feel, and are moved. Moved to action. So this team, you heard David talk about, uh, there's a team going to Kenya next June. Sending 19 people uh, across the, the globe to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. The most inappropriate thing that we can do is to go there with the mindset that I'm going to see how lucky I have it. That, that is not why we go. We don't go to come back and say, well, yeah, man, I went and, and I saw and I came back and I was just moved because I, I just it made me closer to God because I see how blessed I am. As if those people aren't close to God, as if the people in Kenya aren't, they don't matter to God. That is the most inappropriate thing you can do is go with an attitude like, it's about me. And I can tell you this, I read a, a book years ago um, that, that, that a guy by the name of Rick Warren wrote. It was whenever this guy first started writing books and things, and, and he wrote this real popular book. Probably most of you in here read the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And so this thing was hot off the press, and you know everybody who uh, was a Christian had to read it, or you wasn't really a Christian. And so I opened the book up, and the very first page, the very first sentence in the book defines my life. And it should define every one of our lives as believers. There's five words, maybe five if I miscount. It's not about you. It's not about you. And that's how the book opened, and that, is that five? Did I count right? Four. It is not about you. Yeah. I think that's how it was written. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. What we do, how we gather, this is great. It's, none of it's about us. We exist to make much of God. And we have this wicked tendency, every single one of us are born with this wicked tendency to make it about us. For many of you, you might have, your first time here at Silver Community Church, you might have come in to see what we had going on. See what this is about and do you have anything for me? We don't have anything for you but Jesus. We're meeting in a stinky cafeteria and sometimes you might see a roach across the floor. Okay? So we don't have much for you here but Jesus. But He's enough. He's absolutely enough. And so as we go and as we respond and as we are activated by compassion, we're, we're activated so that God would be made much of, that He would be glorified, that people would see Him. And so we say this all the time. We hope when you leave here that you're talking about Jesus. You're not talking about how awesome the sermon was or how great the speaker was or the band. We want you to leave here talking about Jesus because that's who we exist to make much of. And so verse 37, Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So he says there's this, har there's this large harvest that's to take place. And again, if you're familiar at all with agriculture or whatever, you'll know that a harvest is a, is a window of opportunity. You've you got to catch the window of opportunity for the harvest. And what that means is I'm going to claim what I've been laboring for. I'm going to go and, and get what I've been working for. 
And so if you were growing up on a farm or anything like that or nearby, you'd know that come harvest time, man, everybody would be mobilized. Everybody, everyone in the family, the neighbors, everybody. We're going to get the harvest. We're going to, we're going to get it. And it takes everybody to do it. And we've got this window of opportunity to get it done. And so when the time's right, we're going for it. So you'd call everyone together. And here Jesus is referring to the harvest and he's saying, it's like a harvest, which means judgment day is coming. Okay, judgment day is the harvest. It's the, it's the, it's the point where I'm coming back for my church. Everything that's been labored for, everything I gave my life for, I'm coming back for her. And the harvest is right here. It's on us. It's coming. And so he says, whenever that time comes, the only thing left is judgment. And he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. There's so much work to be done, and there's not enough people to get it done. We have a deficit here. There's a problem. There's more work than there are people to get it done. One of the saddest things you'll see is when a, when a harvest is past its opportunity, lose it all. But you didn't jump on it. You didn't, you didn't take the opportunity. And so what's the answer to this problem? Jesus has given us a problem. Here's the scenario. Here's the issue. And so here's how we fix it. Verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's going to be a harvest. We're not the lords of it. We're only the workers. We're only the laborers in the field. Nearly three million people in Galilee. Jesus looks out, sees them, and turns around and looks at his disciples. And I'm turning around and I'm looking at you too and saying, pray for workers. Pray for workers. And so leadership doesn't mean that we lead, okay? Let's, let's, we, we, we cleared that up when we looked in Ephesians at leadership. Leadership doesn't mean that we're the leaders. Leadership means that we multiply leadership. That's what leadership does. And so we put these men before you to say, they're going to assist me in multiplying leaders. That's how that's going to happen. Pray for workers. Pray for multiplication because the harvest is great and the laborers are few. I see a room full of laborers here. You need to be activated. We need to activate you in these areas. God has given you in Christ gifts that the church not benefits from but dies without. We need you. We need your gifts. And so it's for the leadership to say, where are you gifted? Can I help you? Can I help you get that activated? And that's what Jesus asked for here. Here's the fix to our problem. It starts by praying. And he says we need workers because the reality is they, you can't do it alone. Troy, you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. It can't happen that way. Shepherding and serving a community of believers isn't just learning a bunch of Bible verses. Shepherding and serving a community of believers is not just to get a lot of stuff done so that we could facilitate a great Sunday morning service. Shepherding and serving a community of believers starts by praying for and equipping workers for the harvest. That's what shepherding and serving a community looks like. The harvest involves broken and rebellious people who need someone to point them to Jesus through their leadership and through their service. And so that's what we want to do. We want to equip you. And as we do, we want to say, he's what we're after. That's where we're headed. So that, so that the reason why if you want to serve anywhere in Sulphur Community Church, it starts by coming to a class where we're going to sit down and tell you it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. That's who we're pointed toward. That's who we're after. So if you go this way or this way or this way, then you're headed in a different direction than we're going, and we can't, we can't help you there. You're going to have to do that on your own. We're headed here. And so the leadership is in place to do that. So that's, 
sermon number one, concluding sermon number one and remembering how the sermon started, how the message starts. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. He is our pastor. And our hearts are always set on listening to and following Him. Do we get it done 100% of the time? Probably not. You know, we're not perfect. We're still sinful, broken people just like anyone else. But that's our heartbeat. That's who we look for in leadership. And so a leader is a part of a flock of sheep. Leadership, we're part of the family. We're part of the, we're, we're not the great shepherd, right? We're, we're part of the church family. We're part of the flock, which means we get dirty sometimes. It means we're defenseless at times. It means we need a great shepherd. We need someone caring for us. We get lost at times. We're helpless at times. And that's the reality, and that's, what it, that's why it takes the whole body functioning as one unit so that we care for one another. And so I'm going to ask, uh, we're going to break in the in this service right now, and I'm going to ask David and, and Troy to come up with me. Um, and, and we're going to take this time to affirm them in their role. And so if you guys would come and stand with me. And I told Troy this morning, he, he said, well, what's, what's this morning about? You know, what's, what's going on? And I'm like, well, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a wedding ceremony. Except you guys aren't getting married to one another. But they are connecting themselves to this family. And that comes with commitment, right? And it comes with a picture of that. And so I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really just, I want you to verbally, I want these men to verbally commit to you that they're going to do what we've understood Scripture serving in that role, what, that they're going to commit that to you. And so let me just say this, Troy, will you be a faithful deacon teaching charity, urging concern, and directing help to the poor and undesirable? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? And David, will you be a faithful elder? And would you watch over these people? Would you provide for their worship, for their nurture, and their service? And will you share in oversight and discipline? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask us to get a little bit... I know we're not overly charismatic here. I'm going to ask us to get a little bit out of sorts here. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as you do, I want you to, I don't want you to be a spectator for this. I want you to join in on this. You're affirming these men as, as your leaders. And so as I pray, well, let me just ask you this. I want you to extend your hand out to them as if you're laying your hands on them and praying for them. And as you do, I want, I want you to pray with me. And so would you, would you do that now? And let's pray. God, we give you thanks. And God, you have been faithful in every season since creation. And God, you've always set up leadership over your people. God, we see throughout Scripture that you've called prophets and priests and rulers, kings, to provide oversight and care for your people. And we see in the New Testament that you joined servants with the apostles to help care for and shepherd the people. And so what a beautiful picture we have today. That you still care about the flock. That you are still our great shepherd and that you desire leadership whose heart beats for your kingdom, for righteousness, for holiness, for peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, humility. And so here we are, and Father, I couldn't think of more finer examples than what you've shown us in Scripture about leadership. 
God, I thank you that they are committing themselves, marrying themselves to this family for the sake of healthy, God-honoring leadership. And Father, I set Troy at your feet right now, and I ask you, God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on him to enable him to see, to be moved, to respond. God, we thank you that you've given him a heart that just wants to serve people in the name of Jesus. So we ask you, Lord, as this commitment is made to this family, that Jesus would be seen in the way he serves us, in the way he cares for us. And God, I set David at your feet. God, I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on his life. Enable him to lead us with the power that comes through the Spirit. God, I thank you so much for his wisdom. I would pray that, Father, you would increase his wisdom. Father, I thank you so much for his compassion, and I would pray that you would increase his compassion. I thank you so much for his guidance, and I would pray that you would increase his guidance. God, I thank you so much that he lives to make much of who you are, to make your name great, and I would pray that the desire to do that would be increased in him as he leads us. God, let us remember that these are also brothers. They're not some higher power who are able to avoid sin and who are able to live in complete holiness and unity with you. But God, they're, they're just like us. And so as they commit their lives to us, Let us feel the weight and privilege and responsibility to care for them, to pray for them, to love them, to walk with them when days are dark and to walk with them when days are bright. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this special moment. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. And if you have your Bible or your phone, or if you don't have any of that, it'll be on the screen. I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. And it says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So these men aren't the only ones who get a charge today. Sermon number two, church, you have a responsibility. You have the privilege of what we read here in 1 Timothy. Now, let me say this. 1 Timothy, while we will not be able to expound on all of these verses, let me just say that 
It's directed toward the church, talking about its elders. We've, we've set up distinctions. You know now the difference between deacons and elders. Okay? And so bald-headed, burly people, they belong in the deacon group, right? Not bald-headed. He's got a good, good bit of hair. They, you know what I'm saying? We talked about that. It's, it's kind of an inside joke if you're just here for the first time. Um, but the deacons don't run the church. Okay? Don't run the church. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that. We see a deacon serving the church. And we see elders providing oversight. And there's, they're very distinct, very distinct roles. And we've looked at those, and now we see those. And this is being addressed to the church for its elders. Let me just put an umbrella over that and say, this is how we need to care for our leadership and one another as well. And so when, when, you, when we look through this scripture, Paul was strictly addressing the elders when he was writing to young Timothy here. But, but can, I, can I ask you, that can we, can we apply these same things to one who would serve us in, in the role of deacon? Sulfur Community Church does not need to be corrected in these areas. This church family has a supernatural ability to do these things. And, and we see it done all the time. And so let this just serve as reinforcement and reminder of something. Let this, let this serve as encouragement to this church that, hey, I think, I think we do well in this area as a church family. I don't think we skirt around things. I don't think that we, not, we don't care for one another. I think we do well in these areas. So what do we see from, from the aspect of a church member? What am I Now that these men have committed themselves to us, what does that mean for me? In verse 17 it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so I think there are, there are two things here that... that Paul points out, says, here's, here's what the church needs to be about. Number one, this idea of giving double honor is respect. Okay? Now, it's a, lot, it's a lot easier to respect those in authority whenever they're not running around saying, I need respect. Right? We all know that. that that's, typically, that's pretty dangerous when, when a leader's running around saying that. Um, but, but the idea is not to hold everyone at a higher regard. And I see, I see this sometimes where... Um, the pastors and the elders and the leadership in the church are, are kind of thought of as maybe a higher power or someone a little bit greater than the rest of the, the common folk. And I'm here to tell you we're squashing that idea. Uh, we're the sheep, and we smell just like you, and we fall off the cliff just like you, and we get lost just like you, and we're helpless sometimes just like you. We're, we're all Christ is the head. We are all the body, and within the body, God has given some to be apostles, and some to be evangelists, and some to be prophets, and deacons, and greeting team, and all these other roles that we see played here. God gives, he gives each one appropriate gifts and talents. And so we're all on level ground here. And so the the exhortation here is to respect those who are called to care for you. Like, don't don't treat them bad. Don't treat them with disrespect. They're laboring for you. They're working. They're, point, they're wanting to point you closer to Jesus. And that's a good thing for you. So respect is one thing I think that the church is being called for here. And we're going to quickly move through these. But the second one is compensation. It says here... But the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and labor deserves his wages. Now, background for Sulphur Community Church, for many of you who do not know, we only have one staff member. One staff member. And she comes and opens the door for us every Sunday and comes and locks up behind us every Sunday. It's the only person on our payroll. God has given us a supernatural gift in that we're going to be led with multi-leadership, multi-headed leadership. And so we're all working and striving so that this, this group of people are freed up to be as generous as they possibly can be. 
but we're not going to ignore what Scripture says, that you should always be in the position and ready and willing to give generously and cheerfully for the elders and the leaders, those who would come. We're, we're at the very, very front end of eternity right here with Sulphur Community Church. And so who's to say 10 years from now that this is something that we need? And so I'm, I'm telling you that, that Paul is telling Timothy, there's two things going, home, going on here. You respect your leadership and be ready to compensate when necessary. Be ready to compensate when necessary. And I hate the idea that you say, you know what, a pastor is supposed to live a humble, nearly starved life as he brings about the kingdom of God among his people and the people he points to Jesus. Like that's a, I don't think we're going to have an issue in this family because I've, I've never met a more generous group of people in all of my life. And, and, and so what we want to do is continue to create and foster a generous attitude, a cheerful giving. We, we want to continue to, to cultivate that and, and be prepared that, that there may be leaders come along one day. We might be called to do this thing full time one day and you'd be in a position and ready to compensate. But for now, we're saying go and find someone to love well with that. Go and find someone to love well. Someone who needs to feel the love of Jesus because every single person is made in the image of God and they matter to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us as a church. And so we see honor. And next we see love. Look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The best way to love your leader is to remember that standing firm. We saw that a couple weeks ago. It's that idea that I think the... Um, the word is soon, soon athaleo, and it comes. It's where we get the word athlete from, and it's where you dig your heels in the ground and you get in this position where I'm going to oppose someone. I'm an opponent, and so I'm saying here that stand firm with those who intend to harm your leaders. Stand firm against them, because I guarantee you, there's there will be some who want to harm your leaders who want to say things that are harmful and hurtful to your leaders, who want to do things that are harmful and hurtful to your leaders. And I'm asking you, and Paul's asking you here, to stand firm with your leaders. Be ready to oppose those who would come after them and stand firm against the one who intends to destroy their life. Let me tell you this. This week, ministry is hard. Ministry is so hard. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. Stand firm because there is one who wants to destroy them. Because if they can, if the one can take down the leader, he can take them all out. And so there are times where the 99 would get scattered or one would get scattered and one would get away and there would be 99 and we would have to leave to go after that one. That's a dangerous place to be. And that happens all the time while you're in your day-to-day -day, every week. Stand firm against the one who intends to destroy your leaders because ministry is hard. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. And also, correct them. Verse 20 says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. A leader needs shepherds too. A leader needs a shepherd too. They've been given to this family for the same reason that you've been given this family. For love, for care, exhortation and for encouragement. So that's what this family is supposed to walk with their leadership through. Exhortation, encouragement, admonishment, rebuke if necessary. Walk in repentance with them when necessary. Because they're not perfect. And we've set this up from the start. Our biblical understanding of leadership comes with this idea of Plurality, that there's more than one. And so we're, we're wanting to fix that as part of our leadership. That we intend to provide accountability first. That's going to be our first line of defense for accountability so that we're being faithful and obedient to God's Word as we lead this family. 
And so David is ready to receive any correction or rebuke. I'm ready to receive any correction or rebuke where we may be found unfaithful to God's Word, to where we may be found disobedient. Because, to be honest with you, we need that too. We're not perfect. We're sheep. Far from perfect. So we correct and we obey. Verse 21, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and, the elect, and the, of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Jesus gives us the freedom and the power to accomplish obedience. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ has given you and me the power and the ability to be obedient. So we don't get to walk around and say, ah, oh, good, funny, ha-ha, just a sinner saved by grace. That is to walk through the blood of Jesus, to trod the foot, the blood of Jesus. It's to say, I'm just going to keep doing this. this is, I'm a sinner, and so this is how it is for me, you know. Jesus Christ through His crucifixion and death and subsequent resurrection has given us the freedom and the power to accomplish obedience. And so that goes for leaders too. We're, we're not under some special law where we get to do um, other things that we have the freedom to do something else. The standard for obedience is God's Word and we come under that just like anyone else does. This is, this is our standard. And it's your standard. So we should start looking alike if we're going to walk in obedience with one another. Every leader is placed under the authority of God's Word. Every leader. We're not above it. We're not even with it. We're underneath the authority of God's Word. And we don't get to add to it. We don't get to take away from it. We don't get to twist the meaning to make it fit something that it doesn't mean. We don't have the liberty to do any of those things. We're under the authority of this Word. So when you notice joyful obedience to His Word, you encourage your leaders. Encourage your leaders. And when you notice subtle or blatant disobedience to God's Word, you wave the flag. You throw the penalty. Be concerned. Regardless of who they are. There may be ten leaders here one day. Ten elders, whatever. Regardless of who they are, we're setting the tone now that they all come under the, the authority of God's Word. They're all accountable to God's Word, just like you are. And so let me, let me close by maybe just reading some Scripture over you as encouragement, and then we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God so let's pray Father we come to you today